This is Don't Panic, episode number 17, recorded October 7th, 2013, on the anonymous internet, Chrome Apps, and Comments Plus. Hello and welcome to another fantastic episode of Don't Panic, your number one source for Breaking Bad spoilers. Can you believe Walter White was dead the whole time in a snow globe in a dream? <laughs> Damn it, Sean. That's, I See, now why bother watching them when you can watch us? That's right. Don't Panic, the ultimate podcast on gadgets, the internet, and you. I'm Sean Jennings being joined, as always, by the most fantastic human beings in this country. Ladies and gentlemen, let's start off with Colby Rabideau. Colby, how you doing? I'm pretty good. I'm excited to be back for another week. It's going to be, we start on Monday so we can make the rest of your week great, and a, a great way to do that is with Dan Miller. Dan, how's it going? Howdy. Doing great. How are you, Sean? I'm doing, I'm doing well. Last, last week I joked we were all sick and we had tea, so this week I'm, uh... Were we all sick? I was sick. I was, I was getting over a cold, so I, I had coffee, so... I was just really tired. And, and I'll give a little tease for the rest oh. of the episode. My pick this week involves beer, so you'll want to stay tuned beer. for that. Boom. Cool. Well, Ooh, I didn't know tasty. it was a beer episode. I feel a little left out. Uh, I'm mildly annoyed. It's early on the West Coast, Colby. you got plenty of night left. <laughs> I guess that's fair. All right. Well, uh, let me just begin by thanking all of our live watchers and those watching the recorded version. As always, we do this Monday nights, 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific at don'tpanic.io. There you can also find past recorded versions of our episodes in audio and video. You can also follow along with all the great Don't Panic goodness at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash show, And definitely come watch us live Monday nights because you can interact with us in the chat room, be part of the show. We absolutely love it. And this week we have stories to discuss as usual. And we are going to start with, um, I don't know, do you guys have any stories you want to specifically start with or should I just pick one? Hmm, I think this the Silk Road one leads to a lot I of knew, discussion. I knew, Dan, you were going to go right for this one. I, I said. Uh, so let's break down this story. Uh, this is kind of a wacky, weird, crazy story. Uh, very uh, Julian Assange, uh, McAfee guy, kind of just... <laughs> it's one of those types of stories that you just don't believe when you read it. Uh, this is from CNN.com. FBI shuts down online drug market Silk Road. Now, some people have heard of Silk Road. If you're a legitimate upstanding citizen, you're probably not that familiar with it. So what is Silk Road? Well, Silk Road is a, uh, a web page that allows people to buy illegal things, mostly drugs, but you can also buy guns, counterfeit goods, uh, services like uh, assassinations for hire, <laughs> Uh, it's not really a web page, though. Like... No, well, that's what's interesting. So this is maybe the most anonymous thing I've ever heard of because it is operated on the anonymous network Tor, making it virtually untraceable, although Dan could probably speak better to the uh, goodness of that. And the only money accepted there is Bitcoin, the other crazy anonymous currency. So because of that um, and the fact that they take their illegal products, vacuum seal it, and send it through the U.S. mail without anyone knowing any of the wiser. Uh, Silk Road, uh, the FBI said the site generated revenue over the past two and a half years valued at $1.3 billion with a B. Now, of course, that's all in Bitcoins, which is, uh, you know, 
A no, billion Bitcoin? A, a currency. No, 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 no. It's not a billion Bitcoins. It's a billion U.S. dollars, right? A billion Bitcoins is no, like no, 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 no. a hundred times that U.S. dollars. No, no, no. You're right. No, it is $1.3 billion <laughs> or about 9.5 million Bitcoins. Okay, they could have paid off the, the U.S. debt with... Hey, 1.3 is still a lot. 1.3 um, billion Bitcoins. That's, that's the solution to the debt crisis, guys. Just sell heroin <laughs> online. <laughs> Bitcoins. This lends uh, credence to that legalization argument of if only we could tax this stuff. Um, <laughs> so uh, Silk Road was just such a great place to hang out, and sadly the FBI came <laughs> in and busted the party. What a bunch of party poopers. They came in and arrested a man they believed to be leading it. His estimated worth is about $85 million, um, and he is currently under arrest, and Silk Road is, as of now, shut down down. Uh, I don't even know where to start on this one, so I'm going to send it to Dan. Dan? I, I think people people were like, oh man, this guy was such a noob, right? You heard all these people saying that, like, can't believe he was so stupid to use his name indirectly connected with an old alias that was itself indirectly connected to his current alias, like eight years ago. <laughs> like, that wasn't being stupid. That was a property of the internet, you know? Nothing goes away, and if you look hard enough, you can find anything from any time. Uh, which, and also, talking about Tor being truly anonymous, uh, I think, I can't imagine what would prevent someone from hosting their own Tor node and then just collecting all the information. I don't know anything about Tor though. Is it entirely encrypted end to end? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't entirely understand. But like, I know like Tor's been under a, quite a bit of scrutiny lately since the NSA stuff. So yeah, like, I feel like there. I've seen at least one article like, oh no, it doesn't actually work that well. But I, I can't actually speak to why that's the case. So it says the original data, including its destination, are encrypted and re-encrypted multiple times. But uh, this guy revealed that he had intercepted username and passwords by operating and monitoring Tor exit nodes, as Tor does not and by design cannot encrypt the traffic between an exit node and the target server. So if you run one of these uh, jump-off points where you jump off of Tor from Tor to the like, what page you're going to, say if you're using Tor as, like, the get around the Chinese firewall method, uh, then the person, if someone was monitoring that node, then they could figure out who you were. I think if you're running a website on a Tor node and accessing it from Tor, then you're pretty good. Right, right. That makes sense. Assuming, I guess, you, well, not really, because you still have to connect to an exit node, which is the node that you're entering through. Right? In theory. I'm like, well, what if, like... Because you can't have a direct connection to Tor. You can't just plug in your router to the Tor network. You have to go over some what internet. If your machine is, like, a... A exit node? A, a node, or just a node on the Tor network, right? Like, it seems yeah. like... I, um, I may... This may be a naive mm. understanding. Of it, but it seems like an exit node would be where you jump out. Like your your machine is on the network. Oh, okay. It's where you jump out to go to say like 
you know, Google or something that is not yeah, yeah. that is not an an exit node. I don't know if you've have you ever played around with Tor. Uh, I think I tried to once. It's it's pretty fun because like you <laughs> you you really don't know like where your exit node is gonna come out. So sometimes like you'll go to Google and you'll get like Google Germany, or, <laughs> like Google France, because it, your 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 IP is like the IP that Google is seeing is is in Europe. <laughs> That's awesome. It's we should use that awesome. at work so we get the full experience of all the different languages on the site. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I... Yeah. Okay, here's... This This isn't directly related, because I don't understand any of this. So I'm just going to put that out there. Um, <laughs> okay. Bitcoin is weird. Here's <laughs> why. Okay. I get that there's this crypto program that generates bitcoins and it's a limited currency and blah 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 and all this stuff and that gives it value. I understand that part. And that's fine. The problem I have is taking bitcoins and converting it to an actual spendable mainstream currency. Because it seems like every day I read another service that does this is shutting down, is requiring ID. There's almost no way to anonymously take all this bitcoin money and translate it into real-world spendable dollars. That's a property of spendable dollars. But yeah, I, I understand that. Bitcoins. And I realize you don't have to do that. But then I think, so it, we say this guy's worth $85 million, but that's all in Bitcoins. But you yeah, can't buy a house with that. You can't... But you can well, you buy know. $85 million with a pair owned with that and then sell that on the street with right. no connection. I, I feel like... <laughs> The classic case of money laundering, or, um, I mean, just because you, I feel like the anonymous part of bitcoins is that, or rather, it's not that you can turn them into real dollars anonymously. It's that you, there's no way to know where they came from. There's no central authority. Right. So there's no like. It's not like a credit card where, like, there's a record of your credit card transaction. It's just, like, these are not, these, I don't know, whatever the heck they are. They, it's so, just, how every, would you use this other than for illegal purposes? Like, why do we need Bitcoin other than so people can sell money. drugs? But why? Uh, uh, okay. Why? Uh, imagine. Why, why do you do anything online, Sean? Because you can <laughs> Imagine a world in which, s- say, say you live in Zimbabwe, and all of a sudden you have a one hundred trillion dollar banknote. You don't want to deal with that shit. You just use bitcoins. It's hard to get U.S. dollars in there. You don't want to go mining silver. You don't want to go carrying silver around. It's dangerous. Use bitcoins. You don't have to worry about your central government printing trillions of dollars a year just to do something with... Or collapsing. I mean, I guess And then subsequently collapsing twice. Down. Yeah, that <laughs> <laughs> too. I mean, I guess it's good in theory, but it's just kind of those, like, in the real world, I feel like it doesn't... I don't... Oh. I just... I can't wrap my mind around this. The real world in these countries is that everyone has a mobile phone and no one has a computer, and they have it with them all the time, which is also interesting. Like, 
I feel like the reality of these mobile wallets is a lot closer in those countries where their only computer they've ever known is their phone than it is in the United States where we like, oh, HTTPS and bankofamerica.com, I need these things to be safe sort of thing. That's a whole other topic, I guess, but it is. I can see it being really subversive. That's exactly what they're doing. But it's, see, it doesn't feel like a good idea. Doesn't it feel like we should outsource the economy to computers? <laughs> oh, <No. laughs> Computers trade. I read an article the other day about how they, they think they're going to investigate a trader because they found out his trade went through something like it wasn't even half a millisecond. It was even less than that faster than all the other guys. And and that's considered... They think there was some kind of insider trading. In, in like, mm-hmm. less than half a millisecond. Because well, these things happen so quickly when computers do them. Yeah, well, they do... Um, They take all these crazy precautions in the, like, data centers for the, the machines that do the electronic trading, right? Like, they... they so they want to be able to make trades as fast as 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 physically possible, right? So the fastest you can be is being like as close to the stock exchange as possible. So they're like they're like I don't know if they're in the stock exchange, but they're like the building next to the stock exchange and there are these, you know, rooms full of servers and they go so far as to give every single server in the room has the exact same length of cable of fiber, so they're they're all, like, none of them have, like, shorter lengths of fiber and get, you know, even fractions of a millisecond more uh, less latency because of it. Yeah. I mean, you hear those stories about how they, these, the software monitors social media, and if a false tweet goes out, all of a sudden the stock market drops in a second and then rebounds right back. I mean, it's crazy. And now we're saying we want our currency to be like this? I mean, just think about this idea of a non-centralized, non-controlled, virtual-only currency. Like, I just, I, it kind of sounds like the UN to me. Like, a global body that isn't real, and, <laughs> and, and I don't understand why we need it. And I feel like it doesn't do anything, but I guess it does. Maybe that's it just It doesn't me. do anything, whereas countries with their economies do all sorts of crazy stuff, like shut them off or inflate the currency. You yeah. can't turn Bitcoins off, and you can't make any more of them. Well, here's a good question. Do you think this whole reputation Bitcoin is is growing, which I don't think anyone is going to argue about the sort of it's used for just illegal purposes? Do you think that's really going to hurt this cause? Hurt what cause? Oh, the, no. The, the mainstreaming of Bitcoin. I don't think we're ever going to use it in the U.S. anytime soon. I think it's going to... If, you know, like I said, if uh, Libya collapses and all their currency's gone, it would be a great thing to turn to rather than carrying valuable things around and trading crap. But a, but a country like Libya, do they have the tech infrastructure to handle that? Maybe not, but, like, most of Africa and the Middle East do now. Like, they only have cell phones. They don't have computers. I think it could be interesting. I I just, you know, I I know who... 
I was talking with a bunch of what we call average consumers, uh, <laughs> or people who aren't as tech savvy as us, and you know they always like to ask, the, you know, oh, have you heard about this? And obviously we have, and they were like, they were like, what's what's this Bitcoin thing I hear about on the news? People are 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 making a lot of money and they're buying drugs with it. Like that's that's the mainstream reputation of this of this. Yeah, but uh, the making a lot of money with it part is a huge draw. There's don't didn't That's they true. add it to like, like the Forbes.com ticker or something recently? Yeah, it's a legitimate yeah. thing people track. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean the shutdown of uh, Silk Road. Getting back to that, um, actually caused the price to dip about I think they said ten or twenty percent. And then it went up higher than it was before because everyone bought into it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's it's really interesting though, like the like currencies are, are the way currencies work on a on a global scale is really fascinating because like countries like China and us like we do all <laughs> these crazy things to like mess with each other. Specifically, China, like they like buy U.S. debt to devalue the U.S. dollar or something, or or it either that or it's the opposite. They like buy up U.S. debt to make to inflate the dollar and like keep keep their whatever China's China's thing is more stable. It's just crazy stuff like that. And like so, if you if you have something like Bitcoin, where you, I mean. In theory, right now, it's outside of that national, like, international political BS zone. So, I mean, in theory, it might be a little more stable than... Yeah. Or it, it, stable in different... in against different uh, conditions. I think it's just amazing that, at least for a while, they were able to... This was an anonymous website that was able to conduct anonymous transactions for anonymous people using an anonymous currency, but real products. To me, that is a fascinating combination of factors. Yeah, and that... chances are, like, uh, you know, most people who use that are probably pretty safe because as long as they didn't associate their nickname on there with any, you know, any chain of themselves, and even then they'd have that they'd have to go through just as much effort as they did to track down that guy to track down all those people. You're probably pretty safe because there's no personally identifiable, personally identifiable information in their database. There's just a Bitcoin ID. They're not even. Why do they care? They probably don't store any of that. Yeah, and, and Bitcoin as, stores it all for you. And everything I read on Silk Road, uh, apparently no one's been, outside of this main guy who they believe ran the site, no one's been actually arrested for solely buying and selling illegal substances through the website. So, yeah. I mean, I, I guess it, it must work. <laughs> um, so it's, you know, illegal things are bad, but the technology you do, you, do, you know, you use to do them, that's kind of cool. <laughs> it is pretty impressive uh, that, <laughs> that they had such a good run. Oh, yeah, bi uh, $1.3 billion. How long was it up for? Does it say there? Two and a half years. Nice. I mean, that's <laughs> that's good money. That's pretty solid. I mean, 
I mean, and with all the, you know, with all the talk of the NSA watching everything and, you know, it's the, yeah, cool. Yeah. I mean, good for them just for, you know, <laughs> to say they did. I mean, yeah. that guy's probably going to jail forever now, right? Oh, yeah. A while, at least. Yeah, because he, he's, they arrested him for a number of things, uh, but also apparently he tried through the website to, um, pay to have a hit taken out on somebody um, among many other crimes, so uh, he will be rotting in a prison. <laughs> the site had nearly a million registered users. <laughs> that is amazing. Alright. Well, uh, let's go from talking illegal drugs to talking about um, assholes on YouTube. Same thing, right? Um... So this was a an announcement from a week or two ago, but it's it's something that's rolling out, and it's the update to the YouTube commenting system, which hasn't radically changed since the website came out. There have been tweaks, but for the most part, it's been a relatively anonymous way to post, as we all know, very uh, not nice and unsavory things on YouTube. <laughs> well, uh, Google has finally taken the initiative to heart and said, why don't we do something about that? And now they did so uh, in the amazing world of Google Synergy, um, Google Plus will now be the main way to comment on YouTube. Uh, it will connect to your uh, Google Plus profile. Um, and uh, there's a thing I wanted to read here. <sighs> the advantages to doing that are, obviously, your name is associated with it. The comments are actually uh, algorithmically filtered so the ones that are from the video's creators, popular personality, engaged discussions, people in your circles will all filter to the top. So the really crappy mm -hmm. ones will filter to the bottom. You can post publicly or privately. So you can post publicly so everyone sees it. Or you can post a comment that when someone in your Google Plus circle visits that YouTube page, they will see your comment, but the general public will not. That's interesting. There are also better ways, apparently, to moderate comments uh, for owners of the video. Um, you can review comments before they're actually posted. There's a bit of a lag delay. Uh, you can block certain words, or you can uh, allow, just say, auto-approve comments from certain individual users who you know you can trust. Um, hypothetically, allowing people with thousands of comments to spend less time going through them. Um, this is going to be rolled out through the fall and into the winter uh, across the site. Um, I'm I'm excited for this, Colby. Are you excited for uh, for better YouTube comments? Um, I mean, I, I didn't typically use YouTube at all, except to watch a movie once in a while. <laughs> I was not Amish. No, I mean I used YouTube, but I didn't like read the comments. I didn't have like friends on YouTube, like. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean that's a, it seems like a good idea. It also seems like like a decent idea for them to drive <laughs> traffic like Google Plus usage, you know, like yeah, whatever good intentions they may have aside, I feel like that's a much bigger deal for them than than actually having nice comments on YouTube. I, I will say that I know a couple people who are really into YouTube, and there's this whole 
there's this whole other YouTube that most people don't even know about that's like pretty core to it that involves all the subscribing and blogging, and it's basically a social network of videos yeah. to them. And it really is. You can do all the same stuff. You have profiles, all of these things. Uh, and up until now, you didn't have to associate your YouTube account with a Google Plus account, right? Mm-hmm, it was optional. So, so people have and these... I believe it's still optional, just not for commenting. If you want to comment, you have oh, to connect. Interesting. Okay. But even then, I can imagine... Because there's something to be said for not just putting your name on everything, you know? Like, I, har- I yearn for the internet of, like, 2004. <laughs> In some ways. I mean, there, there... You know, it's different things, like... I agree. Like there are some instances when it's when it's good to to not have to be you, and some instances when it's better to to say, "Hey, this is me." Yeah. Know that like the people you're talking to are the people they say they are. Um, yeah. Comments have been under a lot of flack lately. I know Popular Science uh, caused a bit of a splash. Uh, I think it was last week when they. Uh, shut off comments on their website entirely because they claimed it wasn't actually adding anything to the conversation. And I think, <laughs> obviously, that's kind of an extreme move and a lot of people got upset. But I certainly think real names are a great way to uh, uh, enhance the quality of the uh, comments and posts, not just I on YouTube. I feel like comments rarely add anything to any website. <laughs> like, what, what, what was the last website you went to? I was like, oh, thank goodness for this comment section. My local newspaper back home. Because people write really funny things about local news. Okay. <laughs> Outside of that, no, I absolutely agree with you, and I never Yeah, because, on. yeah. But yes. I think you're. it's more for, like you said, Dan, the, the so people who spend a lot of time on YouTube and know other YouTubers, and especially yeah. because uh, Google is really pushing these high-quality, high-production-value channels... It's about having the conversation, and they, Google doesn't want it happening on Twitter, and they don't want it happening on Facebook. They want it happening on Google Plus and through YouTube comments, and I think well, this is a really important step. Right. That's what I mean. That's I guess that's what I was trying to say. Like, there is this like this social interaction is actually going on on YouTube, and it may or may not be going on on Google Plus, and they want it to be on Google Plus. Because why wouldn't they? Makes sense. They, you bought you bought it. You use it, right? So uh, yeah. <laughs> might as well get their money's worth out of uh, Google Plus. All right. So uh, look for that to come this fall. Uh, no more posting crazy anonymous stuff. Um, let's move on to Chrome. Uh, Chrome, actually, in like the last like three weeks, Chrome has had a lot of big uh, changes and updates. So I'm going to talk about the older one first. This was from late September, and this was Chrome Apps. So for a long time, Chrome has had apps, um, which were kind of like ex- fancier extensions. They had extensions, and then they had apps, and apps were like more full-featured extensions. Well, uh, Apple really... Apple. Uh, I've had too much of this here. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, no, uh, so Google's really gone out with Chrome apps, uh, making a very visual change to Chrome. A lot of people were, uh, I know I was a little bit surprised and then fascinated. Um, so the biggest thing you're going to notice is the new uh, start screen, which uh, is uh, the old Google search page, but you'll notice you no longer have, if I was a big user of the big icons for the apps, uh, you no longer have those. You can access Google services from the front page, but there's actually a different place uh, entirely to access your apps. Two ways to do that. Uh, and you guys will have to let me know how this works on Mac, because I've only done it on Windows. But uh, in Chrome, in your bookmarks bar, there is an apps button that brings up a separate tray of apps. There is also an app, I guess, desktop launcher that uh, will set up and launch, let me uh, share my screen. Uh, I'm so not prepared. It's Google Hangouts thing, man. It's so complicated. It's tough, it's tough. Uh, so the uh, I'll just keep talking while I'm trying to figure this out. The advantages to um, this new app interface, as described by um, Google, and there's an excellent post on the Chrome blog that I recommend. So there you go. Now you can see my screen. That's Facebook. Uh, but there's this new apps button, and it brings up your apps tray, which looks like your old apps tray, but there's just in a different place. But um, most of the ones you're looking at here on my screen are actually the old version. The advantage to the new versions... There there are so many pictures of Sean's face. Are where? Sean, are you still oh. getting that, like, half of your screen? Is, uh, it's between uh, half and half. I blame Windows. No, I blame VidBlaster. But, uh, so here's what is new about the um, new Chrome apps, all right? Work offline which apparently you couldn't do on the old ones. Um, no tabs, buttons, or text boxes. And actually what I'm going to... I'm going to just try it and pray it works. I'm going to try sharing an actual Chrome app uh, on the screen here, and it's not going to work, but yeah, I'm going to try Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. I know. Grace yourself. This is I'm ready. Be fun. All right. Can you, can you see it? I can yeah. see Wanderlist. There you go. That's yeah. the app I'm using. But you'll notice there's um, there's no... Uh, oh, my God. This is horrific. Uh, there's no tabs or anything. It looks like a separate program. I mean, it really looks like it's running yeah. in a separate box. Um, it really is much more of an app. Um, it These apps also have an easier ability to integrate with SkyDrive. Um, these desktop apps allow for notifications, pop-up notifications in the notification center. Um, these can interact with USB, Bluetooth, and other connected devices, including digital cameras. Um, they update automatically. They sync your apps to any desktop device. Uh, they take advantage of Chrome uh, sandbox security, as well as auto-update. And like I said, there is the Chrome app launcher for Windows that is a separate program. You can put it right in your uh, taskbar and uh, launch apps automatically from there. So... Um, what do we think? Uh, well, first of all, how does this work on... Uh, have you guys seen this or used this? A bunch of programs have done this for a long time. A bunch of programmers have written desktop apps just by embedding, like, Safari, which I think you can do on OS X pretty easily, in, like, a minimal frame. 
there's that the fluid thing that basically was it what it does is make like an app that's just like a safari a wrapper around like a web view and it displays a website yeah um, it's cool though that you can then i guess skydrive has interesting you know like uh integration points for native quote unquote native applications yeah john uh, I'm sorry, I wasn't listening, Dan. Well, I, I would imagine it's more than... <laughs> no, no, don't take it personally. I'm sorry. I was just reading that, uh, and this was important, that uh, Chrome apps are available currently for Windows and Chromebook, not currently for Mac or Linux. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say is that I, I would assume it's more that, like, Chrome obviously has access to this, and they've implemented some of the APIs to bridge um, to bridge the the gap between the host OS and the actual web page. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I so. and I think it's it's bringing whether it be Mac or Windows closer to Chrome OS. Cuz really this is essentially what Chrome OS is is it's this sort of right. All web. It looks like an app, but it's really running on the web. Yeah, which is awesome because like the web's kind of cool. <laughs> Just kind of. We like it. Freaking great, man. We're fans. <laughs> no, uh, I'm like a huge fan of this though because like I love writing stuff for the web and like I want to write apps too. So I'm all for stuff that lets me do that. Um, be it be it like. This like Chrome OS, that's really cool that you can do stuff like that from from your from your website. That's awesome. Or, um, you know, like Firefox OS for mobile phones is the same idea. Um, you know, and they they expose like actual device stuff to to the to websites right? and you know web based apps, and you can do some some pretty sweet stuff. Uh, that that you haven't that has been off limits for 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 us web web folk. So it's pretty <laughs> exciting, in my opinion. Quite thrilled. I think this solves most of the problems with current desktop apps. If you're with a Chrome browser is already a hugely popular browser and on millions and millions of computers. For starters, B auto updating. C almost no issue installing. It's one-click install, and you really aren't even... You're barely installing anything. Um, And it doesn't look like a web browser. It looks like a regular program, but it's running in the web. So I just think that's really um, kind of a cool and interesting direction, and uh, there aren't a ton of apps currently available that take advantage of this, but obviously this is new, so we'll have to see what happens. Righto. Oh, it's also cool... um... Well, I guess it's not on Mac yet, but, like, that Fluid thing uses, like, a super old version of Safari or something, and so you always get, like, when you try and go to Google Docs, it's like, we don't support this version of Safari anymore. Are you sure you still want to do it? And it, like, mostly works, but sometimes it doesn't. When do you run into that? What? When do you run into going to Google Docs in that Fluid thing? Because I wanted to have Google Docs as an app. Oh, I gotcha. And I couldn't. Well, I could. It just didn't really work that well. (laughs) 
I will say that uh, the, our, the blog on Google, uh, the Google official blog says it is not on Mac, but I am on Mac, and I open Wonderlist, and it looks freaking gorgeous. Hmm. It looks like a native app. It I mean, is it still in the browser, though? Like... It's still in the browser. As far as I can t- I opened it from my Chrome app tray. Right, but, yeah, so it's just not in that separate window thing. No, it's in the separate window thing. It oh. looks like a separate app. Oh. I, I, I can't share my Mac screen with you guys, but it looks really good. It looks better than it does on Windows. Hmm. I'm going to try it. They must have done a lot of optimization because it looks really good. So, Are you on uh, whatever, stable Chrome or like the dev channel or the oh, Canary channel that's a good, or whatever? That's a good question. I actually don't know. Um... I don't I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. But hopefully I'm sure it's coming to Mac very soon and they're they're cool. Uh we'll move on to the other update uh that is in the uh beta mode of Chrome and that would be Windows 8 uh metro mode. When we talked about Windows 8, we said uh, apps really need to take advantage of this touch platform, and I said using Chrome on a touch screen is really, really painful. It's so painful. And I was really bummed when Firefox announced that their Windows 8, it, it's not going to be a Metro app, but it's going to be touch-styled, uh, mm-hmm. was pushed back to 2014, which really bummed me out. But the good news is in the... Um, in the dev channel release, the latest for Chrome OS, uh, there is a Metro style mode. Now, essentially, it's not a Metro app you download from the Windows Store, but it is designed in the sort of Metro design language. And the idea is that it kind of looks like Chrome OS. So in there, there is a shelf down the bottom with um, buttons for your apps. This is where the apps come in. And you just one tap, and it launches the apps. Um, you can create multiple Windows displays. You're almost running Chrome OS inside of a Windows 8 environment. It's really strange. Um, if you And I recommend going... Uh, I'm on the verge, but the story was kind of everywhere. But um, you can have multiple windows open in this and, of course, run your apps in them. Uh, but the idea is that um, Chrome apps are then going to be able to run in this touch environment. Uh, in a way, circumventing uh, the Windows Store. Interesting. Which everyone seems to be wanting to do these days. Yeah, yeah. Why? I, I, I guess, the, I mean, the first th- argument I would think of would be build once, use everywhere. Instead of building 18 different apps when you can build one web app. Yeah. Uh, you know, for mobile, it's a difference. It's a different environment, but is there really that big of an advantage to creating a Metro app? I think there is. I don't think these companies think there is, or at least not yet. And again, it comes down to control. You know, obviously Chrome OS adoption hasn't been... It's been good, but it hasn't been gangbusters, um, which is a fun word to say. And... Um, <laughs> say it again. Say it again. Gangbusters. Gangbusters. <laughs> Who are you going to call? Um, and so, the, uh, so this might be a great way to at least, A, introduce the Chrome OS concept to people, but to get more apps built, because I'm assuming these apps work just the same on Chrome OS. Um, 
So it, it doesn't surprise me that companies are really slow to get on to Metro, but I guess some change is better than none at all. Uh, I'm not on the dev channel, so I haven't actually played with it. Um, but if if it makes it better and easier to use, and these, these apps look very touch-friendly, which I like. Uh, the browser still remains not particularly, you know, small touch targets and the like, but if these apps are nice and touch-friendly, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Do we imagine they will be? Like, um, from what I've seen, again, the there aren't a ton of these uh, Chrome apps available. Um, but uh, and I'm going to look here at all the ones that yeah, are. It seems available. like a lot of them are just links to websites, like the Google Drive app. I was just looking at it, and it doesn't look any different than the website. That's yeah, true, and, and that comes... There's a lot of Chrome apps. It's just like, it's it's essentially a bookmark to the website, which... But doesn't it, isn't it supposed to get you, like, offline capabilities? Wasn't that one of the yeah. main points that well, you would do no, this? No, no, no. It, it enables offline capabilities, but, like, whoever's building this shit has to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's not like, for freezies. <laughs> so does the Google Drive app get you offline? It does I, I now. Yeah, it does a little better than it used to. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I've used that. Yeah, but I, I mean, it's it's a matter of like re-architecting your your web app to not assume network a network connection, right? Like <laughs> your your web app should not assume a network connection, anyways. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if if you have a like a regular plain vanilla HTTP, like, you know, request-to-request web website, like, it's not going to work offline. Like, That's true. one page will work offline. But I was making fun offline. of the fact that the network always goes down. Oh, yeah, yeah. The network. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so keep an eye on uh, Chrome. We'll have to wait and see when that hits the uh, stable release channel. Uh, with that, uh, I want to quickly talk through our last story because we're running a little long and this story is in no way exciting or interesting, but uh, <laughs> it should be noted that there have been more Nexus 5 leaks. Uh, that's kind of the next really phone people are getting excited about. Um, now that most of the phone announcements, at least for Christmas, have been made, uh, this is the Nexus 5 from LG, the next in the Nexus line, uh, and a giant 281-page draft manual detailing every feature about the phone was leaked, so there you go. No more surprises. <laughs> Who leaks this stuff? Like, that's not even exciting. Like, that's... I could, I could see myself leaking, like, some pictures just to be like, oh, look what I've got. A manual? Come on. An entire so 281 page draft, yeah. Uh, it's a 5-inch display, Snapdragon 800 processor, 2 gigs of RAM, inductive charging, NFC... 8 megapixel camera with Wait, optical image stabilization. Charging, does that mean it doesn't have a plug? Uh, no, no, I think you have to have a plug. I think you can plug it in, but... Uh, you don't have to? That's right. That's built right in. Um, let's see. 8 megapixel camera, 1.3 megapixel on the front. Um, and that's really it. It's a phone, and you can make calls on it, and it will be running Android KitKat. 
And with that, we will move on to our picks this week. Um, I am going to jump in and go first, only because nobody likes warm beer. That's, uh, that's true. Really true. So, but before my beer gets all kinds of warm, mm. <laughs> I, I actually went on the hunt today because I realized. Well, let, let me let me tell you how I this whole thing started. So my dad uh, a couple weeks ago went to Virginia on vaca- Virginia Beach for a week on vacation, and when he came back, he brought me three bottles of. Beer brewed at Colonial Williamsburg, <laughs> and it's it's pretty good. It's craft brewed, and I, I actually really like it. Tonight I'm drinking the uh, Old Stitch Brown Ale, and then I thought about it, and I'm like, I drink so many kinds of interesting beer, and I'm always trying new beer. I want an app that tracks the beer I drink, gives me recommendations, allows me to rate and see ratings. Just sort of a, you know, they do this for restaurants. They do it for all kinds of things. I want an app for beer. Now, I will say I've used Untapped before, which is pretty popular. But what I didn't like was it was too social. I, I don't care if other people know what beer I drink. I want to know what beer I drink. Mm-hmm. I don't need the social stuff. So I wanted an app that, dis, you know, I don't, that's too much. So I was looking for a secondary app that works well, and I found one. It's called Beer Buddy. Uh, it is available for, uh, like all our apps, iOS. Naturally, <laughs> um, it is not free. It's two ninety nine, which I know is a little expensive, but I'm really excited. So let me give you on the uh, the beer cam here. Uh, let's. Uh, so this is the app. This is Beer Buddy. Um, on the front page here is a recommendation. Um, but what's good is there's search and there's barcode scanning. This is the only app I could find that had barcode scanning built in. Make uh, it fast and easy. I already tried the barcode on this beer, but it's a little too obscure. So I'm going to do a search by name uh, and then top beers as well if you're looking for those. But I'll search by name here and we'll go. This is uh, Old Stitch. Now this is actually based off of the uh, ratebeer.com So this beer is not in the system, which is not helpful. But this is based off of the RateBeer.com database. Way to go. So I'm going to actually do a search for Saranac, Saranac, uh, which I had a a wonderful sampler of and I enjoy very much. Uh, You can click on a beer, and it will uh, pull up the page for it. It gives you a picture. It gives you an overall rating, a little description. And what you can do is you can click and read reviews from RateBeer.com. You can save it to your collection of my beers. You can share it on social, and you can actually rate it on a series of uh, aroma, appearance, taste, palate, what it counts to you. You can add comments, give it a score, and hit save, and it will actually add it to the list of beers you have. This is a really Uh. great way to remember what you liked about it, what you didn't like. Um, And uh, they will all come up here. You can also add beers that you want to try. So if you go to a place and you see really cool beer on tap, you can actually add beers uh, you want to try as well as those you have tried. Um, and I'll show you, for example, they have pictures, and I want to see reviews. And it also has reviews from uh, other users of ratebeer.com. So this is a really full-featured app uh, for the beer enthusiast Um 
it's a great way to collect what beers you like, what beers you don't like, especially as you're trying new beers, as I enjoy doing. Um, it is $2.99, and it is available for iOS, uh, and that is Beer Buddy. That is my pick this week. Go go have a beer. <laughs> okay. Solid advice. There you go. Dan knows what's up. All right. Um, let's just go down the line here, and Colby... Uh, Mayamo Sean. That's all I know in another language. But maybe maybe you'll teach me some more. No, I won't. <laughs> Easy app though. Um, <laughs> so this is this the my pick this week has been around for like a long time. I think the first time I heard about it was last year at some point or another. But it's called Duolingo, and it's it's like basically for learning another language, right? Um, you know, online, and they have... So they have a website, and what, what prompted me to choose this as my pick this week is that they have a new version of their iPad app, which is, like, awesome. Just awesome. And I had never used it before, but I just downloaded it because I saw this online, and I tried it yesterday, and I was really impressed. Like, I mean, I took a few years of French when I was in high school, and I hated it, and I didn't learn anything, um, I mean, I did learn some stuff, but I, I didn't enjoy it. It felt bad. <laughs> um, but the the way the, the app works is just really cool. It's like there there's quite a variety of different questions, including you speaking to the app, and it records you, and then tell like figures out if you said it right, and it is pretty darn accurate. Um, it's really cool. Uh, and it's completely free, which is especially awesome. So you should give it a try and learn a new language. I think they had they support. I know they do have Spanish, French, Portuguese, German, Italian. There's more. Oh, I guess that's it. Yeah. So they have those five languages right now, but. Check it out. I'll, I'll keep you guys posted in the coming weeks and see if I'm actually using it still. Definitely. We'll have you do the show. What, what language are you doing? I was doing Spanish. Spanish? All right. We'll have you do the show in Spanish. All right. I'm sure that'll, that'll really keep our listeners engaged. We have a big following in Mexico, Colby. <laughs> That's true. So you're, you're, you're going right for our target. So... <laughs> Uh, so see this you guys have to you guys have to do it too and then we can just do everything in Spanish. That's a tough challenge. I actually just downloaded I know this was many many weeks ago but the 7 minute workout. Mm-hmm. The, I don't remember which of you recommended that. Colby was that, that was me. No, Colby. That, I use it also though. It's really great. I just downloaded it and I'm starting to use it. So that's my other challenge. So I'm nice. very challenged. We're uh, all being that challenged is, together. <laughs> that's Duolingo D uolingo.com. Uh, All right, Dan, uh, your pick, I don't know if I can pronounce. Cryptonomicon, I think. Uh, blah, blah, blah. So, um, yeah, tell us about this. It's a book. It's a novel. It's fictional, but we don't know that it didn't happen. Uh, basically, the premise is it's kind of uh, a two part story, so there's two simultaneous timelines, one in the late 90s, one in World War II, and the, uh, the late 90s one, I haven't, I haven't finished it, 
uh, I'm less enthused about, but the World War II one is really interesting, and it describes the uh, process by which the uh, United States and Great Britain broke the Enigma machine and describes in detail the math that went into doing it. Uh, for example, basically the Enigma machine was a series of wheels, and every letter that you were encrypting got a different permutation of the wheel, and the wheels turned at different rates, so it meant that like you would only get the same kind of encryption for a lever letter every 800,000 letters, and they made sure that no message was more than 800,000 letters long, so they, that's why they thought it was unbreakable. And then it turns out if you aggregated all these messages over time, you could spot the 800,000th thing and then figure out how it was crazy how they did it. Uh, with no computers. In fact, this led to the invention of computers. Uh, but Alan Ooh. Turing is a character. Uh, it's really interesting. There's, of course, the crack team of commandos they send in to make sure that no one figures out that they have broken the code. One of the interesting things they do is they can't tip Germany off to the fact that they've broken the code because then they'll add a fifth wheel. And then they'll be, you know, maybe totally screwed because that... You know, the combinatorics are insane. So they ha they know that, like, something's about to happen, but they can't take action because by taking action, they'll tip, you know, Germany off to the fact that they know. Uh, so it's a thriller. It's really good. You learn a lot about math and computers and history. Uh, and the future, quote-unquote, now past uh, timeline is... Also pretty interesting, uh, but I haven't got it. Hasn't spent so much time on that yet. Uh, the future people are descendants of the uh, World War II people, which is kind of interesting. Uh, is, this, this is, is it historical fiction? Or? <coughs> I guess you could say that. Okay. Yeah. I guess so. It doesn't feel like any sort of historical fiction that I have ever read before. Okay. I guess is I might, might... Is it... Is it, it nonfiction? Maybe that's a better question. I... I... We don't know that. Uh, it's based in fact, so like where the story takes place at this uh, mansion in England is where at the at all the code breaking took place and all the things I talk about actually happened. The conversation between... I don't think the main character existed, uh, but the conversation between him and Alan Turing probably, you know, no record of. Uh, oh, so it's so it is. Yeah, it's but historic. Alan Turing did actually know the, his counterpart in Germany who created the Enigma machines, so they were, they were old college buddies, basically. <laughs> uh, they both, you know, spent their time at Oxford, I think. Uh, so it's it's really interesting. I've cool. this book has been recommended to me by so many people I can't even tell you. So here we go. Buy now with one click. Nice. Uh, I am committing, and I will probably not next week, but soon I will come back and give. Uh, yeah, it's what it I thought. reads really well. It's a lot of fun. It's good, and uh, you know, it's not just geeks who like this. This is a pretty well acclaimed book at the time. Oh, absolutely. I've heard a ton of people mention this is a must-read, so I'm excited. For the record, Dan Miller has never led me astray when it comes to <laughs> books. Books, so. movies, and restaurants are my three 
areas of expertise. Those are pretty good areas of expertise. (laughs) Well, you should have a blog and call it "Books, Movies, and Restaurants." (laughs) A great evening, right there. It needs to be a snappier title, but that's a good idea. We'll work on that for next week. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that just about wraps us up for this fantastic episode of Don't Panic. Uh, I had a lot of fun. I hope you all did, too. Uh, I want to thank, of course, as always, Dan Miller and Colby Rabideau. Well done, gentlemen. Well done. There Thanks, we go. Sean. Yes. Cheers. I'm glad you're proud of me. Uh, <laughs> I'm a- Colby, I'm I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. No. (laughs) Um, On that note, uh, I want to remind everyone out there, thank you for those of you who are listening live. We've had a few live listeners and people in our chat room as well. Garrett in the chat room, thanks for hanging out with us. Um, You're awesome. Join us back here every single Monday night, unless we tell you otherwise, 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. Uh, And if you want to be reminded, it's easy. Uh, just hook up with us on Facebook, facebook.com slash don'tpanicshow, and get the recorded video and audio versions after the fact, don'tpanic.io, and subscribe to us on iTunes. It'll just go automatically to your device. You don't. You wake up, best part, you wake up in the morning, don't panic is there for you. So uh, I highly recommend doing it that way, getting it automatically. Um, and with that, I will uh, send it off the same way we do every week by reminding all of you fantastic listeners and viewers to take a deep breath, Relax and don't panic. We'll see you next Monday, but until then, good night.